Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Oh, say, If you're an American and you're professing to be a Christian, well, of course, as American citizens, what we want is accountable leadership. Engaged in the political process. Honest. You, my friend, are part of the problem and not the solution. The church needs to rise. Rise. Monica Matthew Monica Show. Matthew Show. Welcome back to the Monica Matthew Show. Happy Friday to you. We are on the what day of January are we on? I think we are on, yeah. See, that's what happens whenever you work for yourself and you're working hard and you just don't look up. <laughs> Whatever day we're on, we're above ground if you're listening to me. And it's a good day. Amen. Welcome back, Life, Love, and Liberty listeners. Thank you for subscribing to my podcasts. Before we jump into our final episode of Risk Factor, Why COVID Was Made, with my very special guest and co-host, Dr. Andrew Huff. Uh, This is our final episode today. I do want to take the opportunity to thank all of you who have actually made moves to secure your savings in your retirement. That's right, MonicaProtectsWithGold.com. Why? Not because I'm encouraging you to get rich quick, but because precious metals historically have proven to be a wonderful hedge during times of your government, basically uh, dipping into the honeypot of your savings, uh, stock markets crashing as an inevitability. Uh, according to the experts, I am not an expert and this is not financial advice. This is me, a woman of discernment, encouraging you, listeners of discernment to pay attention and quit being afraid and waiting for the feds to bail you out. That's right. Those very people who got us here, who got us in over $4 trillion in losses just this year in the past 12 months in retirement losses. So if you have $20,000 in savings or $50,000 in your retirement account, then you may qualify for a move. That's right. A move to hedge your precious earnings that I know for a fact you guys have worked very hard for because if you're listening to me, you believe in good old-fashioned work and you believe in the sovereignty of you being able to make your own health decisions as well as your own financial decisions. So hedge today at MonicaProtectsWithGold.com. Here we go. Today we had very special guest with us, attorney and just ferocious liberty fighter, uh, a fighter for freedoms on behalf of the American people. Um, with regard to COVID and many other things, Mr. Thomas Renz. Tom Renz was on, was on with us today along with our uh, special guest, Charles Rixey, who's been with us for the majority of our series. Please follow those gentlemen, Dr. Andrew Huff, Tom Renz, as well as Charles Rixey. Hello, Dr. Huff. How are you? I am fantastic. I'm having a great day. I have some great news to announce to the audience at the end of the show. Oh, fantastic. We love breaking awesome news in my spaces. Okay, well, we were waiting on uh, one of our other special guests. So um, 
Yeah. So 10, if you will keep a lookout for uh, Tom, that would be uh, fantastic. And we'll bring Lindsay up as well. Uh, Welcome, everyone. If you would please do us a favor and retweet this space. So either I did this or someone came in and messed with my account. Who knows? But the original (laughs) date on on my uh, original uh, setting of this space was for tomorrow. Because I went to start the space just now and it wouldn't let me. And then I realized that it was for tomorrow. So um, hopefully that that does not deter um, people from being here today who are super pumped about the series. And we are concluding our series today. But yeah, if you would please uh, do us a favor and retweet the space. Uh, this is great information, particularly uh, it's more than great information. I see Mr. Renz. There we go. Um, this is the information. I mean, I realize there's a lot of other exciting things going on right now to capture your attention. Uh, A lot of gotchas, a lot of, aha, we knew it. Um, But I want to, I just sent you a mic, uh, Tom, but you know, this particular series is brought to you um, for the sake of uh, enlightening, educating and uh, you know, and otherwise, um, yeah, bringing you actual, there you go, uh, legit verified information on behalf of uh, people who have been there from the beginning. So we're not speculating. This isn't conjecture. This isn't gotcha. This isn't, we think that's what, this is what happened. This is, we've been here from the beginning and this is what's going on as it pertains to everything from bioweapons, pandemics, you know, through our entire series up to gain of function. You know, now today we are concluding uh, with, uh, with more, I'm sorry, I'm trying to work out some things over here. Do we have, um, do we have all of our speakers? I do not see Mr. Renz up just yet. I think this is his first space. I keep sending him the, uh, oh, request well, or the invite to speak. So let's see if it, uh, if you can, he's get got a going. direct invite. So all he needs to do is hit the microphone button and it will connect him. That's assuming he's on his phone. Right. You have to be That's on true. your phone. That's yeah. Saying. So please make sure that Tom is on his phone. Excellent. Because if he's not, he will not be able to join us. Um, yeah, that is something that, um, you know, I, I wish we would change that actually. I think it'd be kind of cool to be able to, uh, address it from your uh, desktop. But okay, so I'm going to go ahead and get us rolling. So welcome. Welcome to my space. I'm your host, Monica Matthews. It's Friday and I'm super glad. And I'm also super glad that I was not standing there with a cocktail in my hand next to a dude with a hammer in my boxers. So that's the other leading news today. Uh, but this news is way more important than anything Paul Pelosi was or was not doing in his boxers with a cocktail and a dude with a hammer. Okay, so we are going to conclude our, our series today of risk factor, why COVID was made. I realize there are a lot of other spaces that, uh, you know, have information. And so I thank you for taking your time to be here with us today. If you have missed this series, you can also go back and uh, listen to this series. It's spread throughout my Twitter feed, but we also have that up on my podcasts. I'm sure we will be putting something together that will make the entire series more accessible for you. Uh, We'll be working on that uh, over the weekend. So if you'd like, they're only an hour in length. Mm, Some days we're a little over. We've had pretty interesting technical issues (laughs) with these spaces, as you can imagine. 
Um, but yeah, welcome. So please, again, uh, retweet this space and invite people you know, even people who are not part of the Twitter ecosystem. Uh, they are capable of listening in either desktop, laptop, and or phone. Uh, I, I'm sure we will open up the mics uh, towards the conclusion uh, of, of the space, um, but we're not going to do that right away. So I will I'll let you know once we're there. Um, you know, write your questions down. We love questions in this space. You have people at your disposal you may not otherwise have to ask questions of. And in my spaces, we generally, you know, rule of thumb. Um, if you get up to the mic before we leave, we love to hear from you. Otherwise, you're welcome to DM um, either myself or Tin with um, with your questions. Uh, please follow my co-host, Tin Foil Tricorn. Uh, my other regular co-host is not with us quite yet. Uh, he's preoccupied, but he may be in, and his name is Christopher Moreno. You're welcome to follow him as well. Texas Lindsay is also joining us today. She has been fantastic in you know, questions and informing us. She's also a liaison for whistleblowers. Uh, she's a communications expert. And I'm sure you've seen her in other spaces. She hosts really fantastic spaces. So make sure you're following her on Twitter as well as her Substack. And um, so without further ado, uh, my special co-host and guest is former EcoHealth Alliance VP and senior scientist, Dr. Andrew Huff. Uh, he is also the author of his new book, The Truth About Wuhan, How I Uncovered the Biggest Lie in history. So here's my Clear Talk Media disclaimer. That's my company. Uh, we, you know, the views, data, opinions, all that stuff that you guys come in here and share in my spaces do not necessarily reflect those of my media company or me as your host or my co host for that matter. So there's that. Uh, also, today, our special guest is attorney Thomas Renz. Uh, he is the lead attorney in several major cases brought in Ohio, New Mexico, Maine, uh, and nationally against the CDC and DHHS regarding the COVID-19 lockdowns, mask mandates, business closures, uh, false PCR data, fraudulent death numbers, and more. Uh, Attorney Thomas Renz works with and represents America's frontline doctors, Make Americans Free Again, and Ohio Stands Up. You can learn more at renz-law.com. I also see that Mr. Rixie has joined us again. He is He's been a fantastic guest all week. Uh, and he comes to us with uh, a U.S. Marine Corps uh, weapons of mass destruction expert. Uh, he's also open source intelligence analyst for Drastic, a global a global group of twenty plus scientists and researchers who are investigating the origins of the COVID nineteen. Uh, you can also check out his Substack at PrometheusShrugged.substack.com. Uh, so welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks you, thank you for being here. And um, Andrew, I'm going to let you get rolling. Well, thank you so much for the gracious introductions, Monica. I think uh, I'm going to change what I had on the schedule today based on recent news. So I'm sure most of you are aware of the Project Veritas, Pfizer, Sting, Gotcha, uh, where the, this man was uh, was basically describing gain-of-function work happening at Pfizer. So I think it'd just be helpful helpful for uh, Charles and Tom and I to discuss that real briefly and go to what you know we sort of think about that. So I'm going to put you on the spot, Charles. What do you think is going on here, and do you find any of this surprising? Uh, well, I don't think it's surprising. I, uh, one thing that people need to understand is that gain-of-function work is not illegal or anything for private companies to do. In fact, as far as I know, there's virtually no restrictions 
except other than exporting out technology. So that's one thing that's concerning. And people keep saying that, well, it must be illegal. Well, actually, no, it's not. And even here in the United States, if it's funded with public taxpayer money, the only re- the only real restriction is, in fact, there are no restrictions. The current P3CO framework is completely voluntary, and you don't have to accept the recommendations of the P3CO board, even if your your study is reviewed. Now they can pull funding, but at the end of the day, they can't stop anybody from from doing the research. And I think that's like the big thing that I was hearing in the last couple of days is, oh, okay, well, and then we can definitely get them now, but it's not that simple because that's, that's not how it works. It's not actually legal. Yeah. And you actually drift or segued into the policy discussion where we're trying to take this today uh, very well. So here's a quick question for you. So when was the gain of function ban lifted in the United States, Charles? Well, it was, first of all, it was, it was put in place in, uh, in October of 2014, and then it was December of 2017 that it officially ended. However, that the, the paperwork to start the process of the repeal actually was submitted on, and published on January 9th, 11 days before the inauguration of Trump. So there's been a big... Um, like misperception about what actually happened with the repeal of the ban. And it wasn't the Trump administration. And to be honest, it wasn't even the Obama administration. It was really uh, Anthony Fauci taking advantage of the changeover between presidents to try to rush through something because he, he was able to get it completely implemented before Trump had even appointed a new OSTP chair who, who typically would have been in charge of signing off on something like that. So there was no, he, he basically tried to get it in between both presidents and he succeeded. Yeah, so. I think, I think you summed that up perfectly. So here's the next question. So when the gain of function ban is lifted, do you think that companies like Pfizer and Baxter and uh, Moderna, well, Moderna's an interesting case, so maybe I shouldn't say that, but just say Pfizer and Baxter, for example, do you think they were just sitting on the side um, not doing gain-of-function work until 2022, or do you think they got right into it? Absolutely not. I'm pretty sure they were. They, there's no reason for them to not be doing it. In fact, they have to do some gain-of-function work because in the development of flu vaccines, they're constantly working out which strains. And that's that's a complex process that involves you know, the World Health Organization trying to figure and gathering data on what strains are going to be selected for the next year's worth of vaccines. And so there's always gain of function work done. And in fact, in every lab that was developing therapeutics and, and testing things in animals, and you, you could argue that hundreds of labs around the world were doing gain of function work during the last couple of years. The only difference is you know, some, some is the purpose or, or the reason why you're doing it. Because if you're doing it for a nefarious purpose, 
you know, and that's bad. But the truth is, we have no way to know what the purpose is behind what somebody does other than what they say. You're absolutely right. And this is one of the, the main concerns from the Department of Homeland Security, flipping on putting my national security hat on here, is that you could have a biohacker and the guy next door next door you buy a CRISPR kit. And if he knows what he's doing, for a few thousand dollars, he could actually go into the BLAST database, take sequences and start modifying things, uh, things himself with some degree of accuracy. Probably not, uh, you know, like the, a pharmaceutical, uh, pharmaceutical company laboratory or a university laboratory. But this technology is pervasive throughout society. So when I sat in the Project Veritas space last night where they're discussing this I, 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 I tried to get to the mic but I couldn't there was a number of other people that had to speak and there was a lot of talking over each other and, and people were and a lot of you know people I, I think are regarded as brilliant minds scientific minds were speaking and they you know they they're arguing whether or not this was true and the thing right. that I found so shocking about this is that this gain of function work has been going on for at least in the United States for, for six years, the stuff that's been reported. And the idea that, that Pfizer was engaged in gain of function work, it's really it's really not much of a story, but this is what it takes to wake people up, even the great scientific minds. I'm happy with it. I'm okay with that. I don't really see that that being a problem. I mean, I my mind then goes to the next step. Why is this information coming out now? And is this a, a calculated or a tactical loss by Pfizer and the other people involved, because if we can make this look like it's Pfizer and Pfizer's the bad guy, well, guess who's still paying the bill? The Department of Defense is still paying the bill. HHS is still paying the bill. Uh, the Department of Homeland Security is still paying the bill. So yeah. it, I, I view this more as a calculated loss on, on the government and pharma because obviously they're talking here. And I went and actually looked at Marco Rubio's letter that he sent to um, the CEO at Pfizer, and it's actually pretty well written. But the thing is, it doesn't have any teeth because at the end of the day, you're right, Charles, this is not illegal. It's not regulated. It's the wild, wild west. And, and this is really the problem. And people ask me why I'm in this fight. My number one thing is to just to get some regulation or gain a function. And that's what I, I usually con uh, conclude most of my interviews with is that we need some regulation here. And I think all the practical virologists out there, which is a very small number of people I'm, I'm coming to, to learn, agree with that. And this is all about money, big business, and um, medical countermeasure and pharmaceutical development, where I think a couple of our last spaces uh, wrapped up. So I'm going to put Tom on the spot. Now, what, what do you think is going on here, Tom? What do you think of the Pfizer Veritas release? You have to tap the microphone button at the bottom, Tom, if you're not... Apologies. Apologies. That's okay. uh, you know, this technology is well beyond my scope. If I was smart enough for this, I wouldn't be a lawyer. Uh, you know, this is absolutely, I mean, you're, you're dead on with this, Andrew. Uh, we've talked about this, you and I, privately, and I'm going to say it again. You know, the DOD funded this. The DOD is behind this. They are the ones that were funding this research in China. They're the ones that were facilitating it happen. They were acutely aware of it. There's no question. Does anyone on this call or anywhere else actually believe that we took the technology and expertise necessary to create biological agents like this to the Wuhan China labs, labs that were known to be part of the Chinese bioweapons defense uh, initiative, and our CIA, DIA didn't know about it? They, they not only knew about it, but we've got the papers that show that they funded it. You know, this thing with Pfizer... Pfizer is almost immune from lawsuits based on the contracts and other such things that they signed. I know I've reviewed them. So making Pfizer look bad in the public eye doesn't do anything. All this comes back to, 
is distracting from the fact that the DOD is actually behind this and who in the DOD is selling out the country in a way that would facilitate this sort of thing happening. We need to get to the bottom of these absolutely uh, out of control intelligence agencies and uh, Defense Department contractors, all of these black book projects, because that's how this happened. This didn't happen as a result of uh, some rogue gain of function work that was unknown to their country. This was well well known. It was well planned, and uh, we've got plenty of paperwork to show that. So I think this is just just coordinated. I completely agree. And Charles said something to, to bring your two uh, statements together. Charles was talking about export control. So for the audience, export control is a uh, State Department, and there's a few other agencies involved with the Department of Energy, depending on the technology. Export control is a set of policies and regulations to protect United States intellectual property, which has intelligence value or defense value. And you can rest assured that this advanced biotechnology is being watched closely by the intelligence community, especially when there's foreign countries involved like China. So in the book, one of the things I discuss is this is, that, this, that, this is why this is one of the largest intelligence failures in U.S. history. Here we are exporting advanced biotechnology to the Chinese, presumably to spy on their laboratory, okay, and then we get hosed in the process. And we get to, you know, that, that conversation then segues into, well, was this intentional? Was it a leak? We don't have to go into that. I think it's a leak. I'm sure everyone in here has a, has a different opinion. But the, the point here is that this export control is critical to preventing our technology from getting in the hands of enemies. And why were we sending this technology to the Wuhan Institute of Virology or any other laboratory outside the United States? I just don't get it. So... Tom, do you think we've changed the narrative? Well, I think that we've done a lot. I mean, listen, you, since you and I filed the lawsuit and since we dropped the report that we did and done all these different things, uh, you can look and see what's happening. I mean, we saw, we've saw we seen a lot of this collapse. Suddenly we hear people talking about, you know, it seems like this really might have been in a lab. And we see uh, because of that, what I think has occurred, and, you know, I don't want to give away too much of our inside baseball strategy here, but, you know, when when you start breaking down a den of thieves like this and you start talking about liability in the billions or trillions of dollars, which I believe there will be, uh, people start turning on each other because there's not a lot of loyalty amongst thieves. That collapse is having a really all the impact I would have hoped in a lot of ways. You know, I'm enjoying very much uh, seeing some of these other things that are coming out. The died suddenly phenomena is huge. You can't turn on Twitter without seeing died suddenly trending. And, uh, you know, what we're pe start, people are starting to put together is that this is a cohesive narrative. We had the Defense Department, through their partnerships, uh, essentially uh, create this disease and at the same time create proposals for for a cure and uh you know you it's it's a traditional snake oil salesman thing right you you create the disease you create the cure and you know you make money on both sides and so i i do i think this whole thing is collapsing i think that it's been a a, a game of inches for a long time but i think when we when we dropped that bomb when we dropped that report and uh, everybody saw where we were going with it. And, you know, the nice thing about the lawsuit is this. The lawsuit that we structured, and you know this, Andrew, we structured it in a way where 
every single person in this country who ever caught COVID-19 could potentially sue over this, which means that even if they try and you know, do something shady in the courts, so what? We just file it with the next guy. Eventually, the courts are going to have to do the right thing. It's a very much a toxic tort case. There's no way for them to avoid the discovery, and everybody knows this on the other side. So the truth is coming out. It's a matter of when, not if. And so the game right now is let's see how we can dodge this liability. So do you want to explain real quick what the what type of case it is and how it was filed? I think that'd be helpful, helpful for the audience because it hasn't been discussed in this space up until this point. Yeah, absolutely. So the thing that you got to understand is, so Andrew and I worked on this along with some other attorneys and Make Americans Free again for eight months, I would say. I mean, probably every bit of that, right, Andrew? Uh, At least. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, this was a very hefty thing. And we we looked at about a hundred different case designs. We researched the different things, all these different options and opportunities. And what we settled on was a very traditional toxic tort structure. What that means is that we said, uh, you know, you guys made a poison, that poison got out, and so you're liable for the damage of it. And that's a very common thing. The asbestos lawsuits that everybody sees the commercials on, you know, you were you were, you were a loved one diagnosed with mesothelioma. Well, those are those are all toxic tort cases. So these are cases that the courts can understand. There's a lot of precedent. And, uh, you know, they can be very complex cases. But because of the way it's structured, like I said, you can't just uh, find one court where you're going to get lucky if you're the other side on this, because every single person who got this is potentially eligible to file this case. So that's a huge, huge deal. And I think it's a game-changing deal on this because what it means is there is no opportunity to have a one and done for these guys. They can't just go in there and say, oh, we're going to throw this out uh, on a 12B motion and and we're not going to look at the evidence. Okay, go ahead, because I'll just come back again the next day with another plaintiff. And I'll keep coming back until we get there because if the court doesn't want to hear it legally one way, well, then we'll come back the other. But they all fall within the toxic tort structure that we designed. So, uh, that, you know, this this structure seemed to me to be the strongest approach and uh, the most likely to allow us to ultimately get where we want, which was accountability to these scumbags who built this. And do you want to ex- explain how we filed it, who the uh, defendants are and uh, the John Doe? Uh, the John Doe's that are associated with that? Yeah. So, I mean, when you file a lawsuit like this, you got to understand that uh, the different defenses may apply to different actors, uh, but you also have certain ethical obligations. So we have to include anyone that we believe should be a, uh, what's called a necessary party in these cases. So what we did was we looked through the evidence that we had, and we included the people that we believed we could show were necessary parties to this case. Then we recognize that, it, you know, this looks like a very large conspiracy and a lot of people and all sorts of bad actors. So we included what you call John and Jane Doe's as defendants. And essentially what those are is placeholders in the lawsuit. And you include them. Uh, for some very important reasons. But the main is, is that maybe you're not sure who those John and Jane Doe's are. Now, I'm qu- absolutely certain that there are additional people who pro- who were 
almost certainly involved in this creation cover-up, this, that, and other. But we need to get to discovery and figure out who they are. Then we can name them once we have the proper evidence. We have a very good faith belief that there's more, but we can't really, without the discovery, this stuff has been hidden and covered up so deeply that, uh, you know, it's it's hard to know exactly who to list. So we use the John and Jane Doe. So I think that we'll end up seeing an awful lot more people on the defense list, but we got to get there first. And we're trying to be very conservative and very ethical about this case because we all know that the other side is not ethical in many ways. I mean, or they wouldn't be creating diseases that are killing people. And so we want to make sure that we're not giving them any ammo to try and come after us in a shady way. Sorry, I was fat fingering my, my mic button here. So, Charles, do you think we're winning? Uh, <laughs> well, yes, I, I think we are. But um, what I'm concerned about is, is the same thing that you're concerned about, which is what are they going to be able to get away with? And I, I, I tend to think that this is more about uh, the deep state than the DOD specifically, simply because the the notion that the DOD would poison itself with, with something that it rejected three years before, uh, at least the, like the it would have to be a, a small selection of people within the DOD comparative because it, there is no mission that exists in the military to, to commit suicide as a force. And so what that also means is it, it scares me because that whoever all these tangled webs would go back to the fact that they would have been willing to to do that and to mass vaccinate all the troops is concerning because, because, well, the the main thing that I've been working on is compiling the evidence to show that Anthony Fauci knew exactly what he was doing with the epitope decisions that he made and keeping the spike in the vaccine with all the non-pharmaceutical interventions and uh, embargoing all of the various treatments, therapeutics, prophylaxis, all that kind of stuff. So so that's my main focus. I don't believe that he's the end-all, be-all, but I think that's the best place to start. And so are we, at the moment, yes, it looks like we're we're having success. However, um, the the main tactic that I've seen that whoever our opposition is, is is trying to use is to divide and conquer. And so we have to be very, very careful right now because whether it's in Congress or just amongst the resistance, there's a lot of division going on and being sown. And I think that's the way they believe that they can get ahead. So we have to prevent that at all costs. I completely agree. And I've watched the tactic shift. So first we the PSYOP was these people are all crazy. They're conspiracy theorists. Let's censor them and, you know, paint all these people, including myself to be nut jobs. Well, after that didn't work. And then luckily Elon Musk buys Twitter. And I think that helps uh, shift the momentum in our direction. 
now they've, they've they've firmly went over to this divide and conquer strategy, and we're seeing lawsuits among scientists and media personalities and people. You know, this person could be controlled opposition. So I think for the, the audience here, it's important to know. And this is just an old trick I learned in the military about identifying um, intelligence assets: is you just have to watch their behavior. You can listen to everything that they say and do this even of myself as well. Question everything I say. Watch my behavior. Watch the things I do. Not just not just listening to the things I say. That's the easiest way to evaluate someone's attentions. You focus on their behavior, not what they're saying. So I think that's really important for everyone right now as we push. There, there's a little bit of history too. Going, you know, I see this a little bit different than than you do, Charles. So throughout the military's history, especially uh, post World War II, there have been a, a number of failed programs where the Department of Defense tried to sweep them under the rug and, and push crap out. Um, and I think the audience can relate to this. So the M16 rifle, for example. When that M16 rifle first came out, it was a piece of crap. It jammed on the battlefield, a little bit of dust. It didn't have a dust cover. Um, and in Vietnam, people were getting killed with this thing when they first issued it because it was it was jamming on the battlefield. And that was a failed DOD program that they tried to sweep under the rug. They corrected it. But uh, arguably, thousands of people died in Vietnam. And that's you know the quantity here isn't even comparable to what's happened with mRNA. But then you can look at another thing from Vietnam, another tragedy. Well, Agent Orange. So this is a, a chemical agent that was used to de- defoliate trees. Well, they're, they're pretty sure that this could have negative health effects, but they're sc- spraying this crap all over the jungle, including our own forces, uh, to defoliate the jungle to increase the probability that they'd be successful on the battlefield. Okay. Now, fast forward, there's another interesting project or program that fails. So and I, re- I recommend that everybody watches this movie. It's called The Pentagon Wars. And I, I don't know if we can post this up so everyone can see it, but it's an HBO movie, and it's about the development of the Bradley Fighting Vehicle, which was which began as in the the 1950s, I believe, or early 60s, as a armored personnel carrier. Well, the Pentagon had spent billions of dollars on this. Fast forward, it took them 30 years to get this vehicle out. By the time it comes out, it's an armored personnel carrier infantry vehicle with a big gunner that looks like a tank. That if it gets hit with a round, it kills everybody on the inside. And they made a movie about this. It's a true story. And I think that's what's going on right now with the SARS-CoV-2 gain-of-function work and the mRNA jabs. This is a huge Department of Defense initiative, also Department of Homeland Security, because there's uh, national, uh, domestic national security applications of mRNA technology. I think that's what's going on here. And the reason why this matters is I don't think that we're going to hold anyone in the Pentagon accountable, but... If, at least at the, at the end of the day, if the Department of Defense can come out and acknowledge that there was a problem, this was a mistake, we can correct those issues to preserve and save our military, the people that serve in it. Because remember, you know, the two or three million people that serve in the military are mostly our brothers, our sisters, our kids, uh, aunts, uncles, our family members, right, or friends. So they're not the ones to blame this. They're all subject to the orders that come down from the very top. And when these big Pentagon uh, programs have this immense gravity Nobody wants to be the fall guy. And all these people are trying to get promoted to their next slot so they can get the next rank. And that's especially true of field grade officers across all the different branches. I think that's what's going on here. So with that being said, uh, how do we define winning, Tom? Did we lose Tom? I don't know. Tom, can you hear us? Yes, I can. Uh, <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I was, uh, I was also fumbling with the fat fingers. Uh, way too chubby. So I was uh, saying that when this started, 
we define winning much differently than we do now. So when I started this, I didn't know about vaccines or anything. I, mean, I was just pro-vax. I was just a normal guy. And I was mad about the lockdown. So when I started, winning was let's get rid of the lockdowns. Well, we've got rid of the lockdowns. And frankly, I don't see most of the country being willing to go back to that ever. Uh, that's a win. Okay. I mean, there's some states, you know, California, New York, where who knows what they'll do. But for the most part, I, I just think it's an absolute uh, loss to try and do that. So I think we, in some levels, we won that. Then when the jabs start coming out, uh, at first, you know, I didn't know what to think about them. I did my research, found out that they were dangerous. And so winning then became a matter of trying to keep people from getting it. And what we really needed to do, and this is something I don't know that I've talked about publicly before, but, you know, we were very, very sadly aware of the fact that we wouldn't be able to keep this from everybody. I mean, we knew there were going to be a lot of people doing it. And winning at that point was really about seeing how many people we could get to avoid it and ensuring enough people could stand strong through the pressure that they were going to be getting to get these that we at least had a control group so that we could at least show that we were right and that these these are dangerous so that we could at some point use that to stop people from continuing to get it and to start hoping to be able to bring accountability and healing. So we accomplished that. I mean, you know, that was also, and you got to understand that when we look at winning, in my case, you got one little nobody from a little town in Ohio and if you look at the entirety of the of the COVID uh, freedom movement, I mean, if if our entire budget on the freedom side of things was millions, I'd be very impressed. My you know my budget most months was maybe ten to twenty thousand dollars. We were fighting against people with billions, if not trillions, of dollars at their fingertips. So any any victory that we could pull was a big deal because we were really outgunned. At this point, I feel like we've succeeded in making the truth uh, really break into the mainstream. Thanks to shows like this, thanks to what we're doing here. You know, people are starting to wake up and to be aware. I mean, you can only see so many DeMar Hamlin stories before you start thinking, geez, this doesn't seem normal. And, you know, we've been telling them that that was coming. So there, there's that association there. Uh, so winning at this point is about moving towards accountability. And I know what you're saying, Andrew about the difficulty that comes from trying to actually hold anyone at DOD accountable. And I also want to reiterate what you said, that we really need to distinguish between the heroes that are our soldiers and the scumbag garbage shellouts at the DOD, CIA, DIA that have, have been poisoning those people that are willing to die for our country. There is a world of difference between the people at the top and the people at the bottom. The people at the top, we have to get some accountability on. And I think there's going to be accountability. I'm seeing signs that they're going to start throwing people under the bus. But there's always going to be a desire to throw no more under the bus than they have to. The people who were behind this uh, at the top of the food chain are still relatively secure. We've got to get to them. And so at this point, victory for me is about continuing to get the word out as fast as possible so fewer people get these and kill their children, kill their families, kill themselves. And at the same time, uh, moving towards real accountability. Yes, Anthony Fauci belongs under Gitmo for the rest of his life. 
But Anthony Fauci was one player in a very large scheme. And Anthony Fauci may have been a key player in some levels, but let's talk about the people who paid Fauci off. Let's talk about the people at DOD who, who facilitated all of these shady contracts. Let's talk about the people who paid them off. And we need to get to them. And, uh, you know, a lot of my work doesn't become public until six months, eight months after I do it. Uh, that's where we're at now. What I'm working on right now is how we get to that accountability or ensuring that accountability becomes something that's so so called for publicly that even the most corrupt of our politicians can't dodge it. Uh, you know, Mitch McConnell who got a million dollars from Pfizer to uh, and just, just saying. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think we'll come back to the, the politics and politicians angle because I think there's some interesting recent developments going on there. Uh, so Charles, I'm going to put you on the spot here real quick. So if you had to make a mission statement out of this uh, like military style with a commander's intent, what would you say? As far as like what the goal should be? Yeah, in terms of, you know, so Tom just sort of contextualized what the fight is, what 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 the battles are taking place. And, and he was getting into how we win those to some extent. So to simplify this in sort of the way that our minds think, and I think it might help the the audience, how would you summarize that with a, a simple mission and intent? Because the one thing that's important, I think, for, the, the, for everyone in the audience to know is that if you can understand the intent, intent of what you're trying to accomplish, it doesn't matter what the mission is or what kind of weird things we're presented with in the future. You can still go about your daily life and make decisions to at least keep working towards the goal so we can accomplish the mission. Well, I think that this is this actually ties very well in with with what my philosophy has been, especially during the last six months, because but what I've seen is this this fracturing of of the of the side of the dissent. And in truth, the, the solution has always been the same. So first of all, the goal, the way that I have tried to maintain independence from all the infighting is just to focus on what actually matters. And what actually matters here is that there are millions of dead people, a million in America, and it doesn't matter whether the, sh the shot killed them or a virus killed them or whatever you think killed them, midazolam or a ventilator or remdesivir. The bottom line is, is that there are a million dead Americans and they deserve justice. And like, if you're, if you're keeping track of what, you know, ethical skeptic or Jessica Rose or some of these other jicky who, who are doing the data, people need to understand. Tom mentioned Vietnam. Okay, there fifty-eight thousand American troops died in Vietnam over thirteen years, and just in the last six months of twenty twenty-two, more more military-aged males, just males, died in excess deaths in that age group than in thirteen years in Vietnam. So that is the scale of what we're dealing with here. And I'm tired of watching everything get everybody fighting with each other and whether it's, it doesn't really matter what the cause is. 
because the cause is irrelevant because our cause should all be the same, which is justice for millions of dead people. And in our case, for a million dead Americans. And as long as, as long as you keep that as the primary goal, just kind of like what you just said, when you have that as your goal and you don't let anything come between you and that, then your priorities are correct and you'll get to where you're trying to go. And that's, so I think the best thing that we can do, we have to have leadership because if we don't, and, the, and I don't see it yet, okay, but without that, without people willing to stand up and be courageous and regardless of what else is going on, doing the right thing and, and telling the American people it's okay to grieve, it's okay to be sad, we're here, we need to fix this because everybody deserves justice. And so I, I don't worry so much about the, the politics or, the, or the, the other things because I know that people aren't inspired by, you know, fighting amongst Democrat and Republican. They're inspired by people who stand up and do the right things for the right reasons and refuse to quit. And so I think if we do that, if we make that the centerpiece of our strategy, then there's nothing else that we could do, I think, that would be better than that. And so that's the only thing I try to focus on is, is that and then, okay, how am I going to get to that end state? Because the end state is people deserve justice. If we don't get justice for people who are dead, then I can guarantee you we do not want to see open biological warfare because when something like this happens, it either there's accountability or the next time it will be worse. And I don't want, for my children, I don't want them to grow up in a world where this is the norm. I just don't. And you and I have had, have had private conversations where we both have echoed that. And we, we, I think we're completely on the same page with that. And I think to, to summarize for the audience, I, I think the, the main thing is that we need to focus on is how this happened and how it occurred. And, and that is through my former employer, EcoHealth Alliance, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, the transfer of this advanced biotechnology to the Chinese. That's how this happened. So everything else that keeps coming up, up in the news and the media and whether it's the data analysis, what's causing the excess deaths, it's not that that's important, but attacking and focusing on those, I guess, sub-objectives do not help us win the war. They're, they're important battles that need to be fought. But in, unless we can address the proximate cause of this, we're going to end up in, in the same situation over again. It's just history repeats itself. And if we don't take actions to prevent this from happening again, we're going to be right back where we started. Exactly. So, so, Tom, flipping to you. So, how do you think we measure and evaluate progress? Well, that's one of the trickiest parts in this, right? And uh, I think that, that that is a a process. We're seeing, you know, victories in court cases. We're seeing victories in this and victories in that. Uh, the biggest stuff is always the hardest stuff and always takes the longest. So, I don't think that that's a great measure because – if you keep waiting for a single big victory that means that you've won everything, you're going to get discouraged because they take years. I think that progress is measured by, yeah, I'll tell you what I look at. What's trending on Twitter? What's in the news? 
What's in the media? What is the topic of conversation? To me, because part of what we needed to do was to ensure that we were uh, really getting the message out and pushing truth, it became foundational that that I see that other people are talking. You know, So I'm looking at the metrics I'm looking at, the hard metrics I'm looking at, are just really numbers like that. The more people that are talking, the more people that are sharing, the better it is for our country and for our world. As people, to me, there's no question. Listen, nobody is excited about politics. Everybody hates politics. And I don't know a single person that believes a single politician is a good guy, save two or three of them. Uh, you know, so so asking people, you know, what, looking at the politicians as a measure, I don't think is real good. We got to look at we the people because ultimately, this comes down to an attack on freedom and an attack on we the people. COVID hit the people. The vaccines are killing the people. This whole thing is about we the people. And there's a reason for that. If COVID was, in fact, about control, if it was a bio plan, if it was this, if it was that, you know, maybe and we don't even have to get into it. But if it was, if this was about tyranny, if this was about control, financial, whatever, the one thing that the people behind this would not want is we, the people, to step up and take action and to be aware of the truth. The snakes behind this absolutely fear the light of truth. There's zero question about that. And it doesn't even matter what their motive is. Ultimately, if you were involved in this, you're afraid of the truth coming out because you don't want to be held accountable. So the measure of success needs to be in the, the spreading of truth. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plug Monica here. See, if a million people hear this show and they start to ask questions, if I see that this show, that this Twitter space is, you know, gets a million listens, then we're winning, right? If I see that this is trending on Twitter, we're winning. If I go on a media a broadcast of this or that, and I see huge views, we're winning. People say to me, well, I can't do anything. I can't do anything. And I got to tell you, that burns me because what you're doing there is you're empowering the other side. You're saying that Fauci and Schwab and all these scumbags who are behind killing millions of people have too much power. You can't do anything about it. Well, as a matter of fact, you can. Help us make this get a million views and listens. Because you're right, one person by themselves can't change things, but a million of us, 10 million of us can. And a lot of people think that when I'm saying share, 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 push us out, push us out, that I'm I'm just, you know, offering platitudes. But I am absolutely not. We can win this fight if we the people stand together, if we fight together, if we push together, if we demand accountability, if 30 million Americans demand accountability, and 30 million is only one, it's less than a tenth of our population. But if 30 million Americans in unison demand accountability, you'll see something happen. If we had 10 million Americans contact Congress, things would change. We can't get 50,000 people to call out of 320 million. There is nothing more critical to victory than our involvement in democracy, in our, in our republic. We have to be active, we have to be sharing, we have to be communicating. And if that happens, we can make the lawsuits win. And there's actually a legal reason for this, right? So there is 
long story, we're not going to get into it here, but basically there are plausibility standards in the court. And if everybody hears and believes and thinks it's possible, well, then we can get there. There are legal reasons that we need people to hear. There are political reasons we need people to hear. But essentially, we need people to hear, and I'm going to plug your book, Andrew. Everybody on the stinking planet needs to be looking at this. Uh, by the way, I don't get anything for plugging this book, and I don't get anything for pushing Monica's show. I literally believe this from the bottom of my heart. Uh, we have got to get the word out and activate the people, and only, only when a sufficient number of people in this country and around the world are absolutely demanding the heads of these, I'm trying not to say any four-letter words, these people, only then will it actually be something where we can fully do. We won't get to accountability by, you know, listen to 30-second news clip saying, oh, well, we want to do something, and that's it. We either stand for democracy, we either stand for our republic, we either pay the price of freedom, which is eternal vigilance, or we lose it. And it's just that simple. There's no fate but what we make. And I've, I've been a, a patriot my entire life. as a Democrat, then as a Republican, and now I'm a libertarian. It, none of that really matters because the thing is I'm, I've been a patriot. And we, we're all faced with a, a critical choice right now. And the choice is are you going to stand by and be a victim or are you going to stand up and fight? Because they're going to slay us. If you, stand, if you make the choice, the decision to sit on the sidelines and not do anything, we're going to lose. And this is going to take an army. And I encourage all of you to get involved in some way. And one of the best ways we can, can probably push this over the, over the line to victory is that we have to educate others and spread the truth. So, Charles, you've been actually, I think, excellent at this. What are some tips on, on how we can educate others? Well, <laughs> the first thing we have to do is we have to stop. And this is really more like a, a broad thing. We have to stop thinking that we have all the answers and there's a lot of gatekeeping for lack of a better word that takes place. And, and what I want people to understand is that there is no amount of expertise. There's no amount of, of experience. There's no amount of, of, you know, it's, it's your turn. You know, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it's, it's not about us, okay? It's not about me becoming successful or you becoming successful. It's not about any of us becoming successful. It's about saving people's lives from something terrible that is happening. And once again, we have to prioritize. If, if we prioritize what matters, which is each other and justice, then... It, it'll, it will hopefully allow us to become more humble because right now I think that we're fighting against whatever it is that does not care about they are willing to do whatever it takes because however bad they are this is existential if somebody has done this intentionally then they know it is either they are at the top or they are gone. And so they're going to do everything they possibly can. They're going to break the rules and do whatever. And what I would say to people, what I've said for a long time is, is that we cannot 
go down to their level. We cannot... It's important. People need something to believe in. And and when people see people being courageous, it, it, it empowers them. When they see the truth, truth has a gravity and people will be attracted to it. But... There's a problem is when we get sidetracked with all these other things, it it prevents us. Pe- people aren't aren't gra- don't feel there's not a magnetic attraction to people trying to f- fight amongst each other for control of something. So we have to be. It's important for all of us to be fighting and for fighting for the right cause. But how we do how we fight is almost as important as what we're fighting for. Because if we're not doing it for the right reasons, if we're not, if we're not willing to sacrifice, if you get to the precipice and you don't have courage, then, then it doesn't matter. So I know I'm speaking in generalities here instead of, instead of in specifics, but the truth is, is that that's what you have to do. Because, you know, like, I want to make a difference, okay? (laughs) You know, and if God puts me in a position to make a difference, I want to make sure it's a good difference. And so, uh, you know, when I started this a couple years ago, I I mean, I I had no followers, I had no Substack, I, I, I had nothing. In fact, I was working on my MBA, and I was the manager of a shoe store working full-time while I was working on my MBA. Okay, so, but it didn't matter. I realized very quickly that something had to be done. And it's, it's been an honor to be around all these people who have been willing to stand up and do what needs to be done. And to be honest, that's, that's what people need to see. And I think... I think we're. I think that's why we're winning, but I think we also have to stay focused because it's going to get a lot harder and there's going to be a lot of pressure. And you know, you saw you you saw exactly you saw the opposite of leadership with this Pfizer stuff, with this latest stuff. You saw a whiny little turd who's in a position of authority. You know, you've seen the same thing with the Secretary of Defense. Okay, who who is willing to, you know, just do whatever needs to be done to his troops? You you see with Fauci, who is public health, his entire mission. He, he swore an oath to protect the public health of the citizens of the United States, and by any objective measure, he is the worst person who's ever held. Like he has caused more damage than any other human being. You know, I've said that his decisions at the beginning of the pandemic to hide the existence of the fear and cleavage site, to hide the existence of these HIV-like sequences, to hide the, the fail, previous failures of the jabs, those decisions caused more American deaths than every casualty in World War II, which means that those decisions were more impactful than any decision that has ever been made by any president for any single situation. 
And the fact that Congress will not stand up and hold hearings, the fact that we had to wait two years, well, having hearings for January 6th where one person died on that day, and the same day, 3,600 people died from COVID or COVID whatever. That's what, when, when people hear that, I think that, I think that the rest will, will take care of itself. The problem is that we're too easily distracted by other things. Well, and that's the whole nature of the algorithm, too. If you look on different social media platforms, so if you're drawn to um, divisiveness or conflict, it's going to the recommender platform, the machine learning or artificial intelligence behind that platform is going to uh, present more of that content to you. So you have to be cognitively aware of what's going on. My dog's whining in the background. I'm sorry. Um, you have to be cognitively aware of what's going on so that maybe you can, when you see this conflict taking place, maybe you can step in and fire off a tweet saying something to the effect of, well, hey, you know, let's try to keep our eye on the prize here and try to keep on fighting towards the similar goal and objective, which is the origin story. Because all these other these other data analyses, other stories, these, these wedge issues that keep popping up, it's all a distraction from us winning. So, Tom, uh, I have a question for you. So what strategies are working and what's a good way to approach people and how do we get the people in the middle? Well, this is how we get the people in the middle, right? I mean, that's precisely what we're doing here. One of the things that the people, so if you're an activist, if you're someone who wants to, to educate people, maybe you lost a loved one, maybe you're sad, maybe you're upset, maybe you feel duped, defrauded. If you don't feel that way, then you don't know what's going on. But for those of us that are actually trying to do something about this, you've got to talk to people that you know, it might be a little uncomfortable talking about, right? You've got to be able to post things. I had someone ask me the other day, uh, I posted something on Twitter or you know, somewhere, and they said, oh, my God, the trolls are going to roast you. I said, so what? Oh, great. Hopefully they share it everywhere and more trolls do. Because the more I get uh, you know, roasted, attacked by trolls, whatever, that means they're seeing it. And I pray to save their lives just and their kids' lives just like everybody else. And maybe they don't hear it now. Maybe it doesn't sink in now. Maybe it takes time. But it doesn't matter to me. What matters is, is that we're potentially saving lives, that we're taking steps, that we're doing things that are going to have an impact. You've got to reach out of your circle. Now, I love Truth Social. Most of my people and my, that follow me there, you know, they're, they're wonderful and they help me to get the word out. But most of them also agree with me. So I ask them frequently, help me get the word out elsewhere. On Twitter, I'll use hashtags. I'll use different things that I know are going to get in front of, you know, the crazy leftist crowd. Good. Good. In, in real life, you know, I'll sit down, I'll talk to someone and, you know, I hear that they're completely on the other side of the universe and so I'll have a conversation with them. I don't tell them they're stupid. I don't tell them they're idiots. I don't, uh, you know, go go at their throat. What I do is I have a conversation with them. And I tell them, I, a lot of times I'll even open up and say, listen, I think we're going to be on different sides of this issue. But it used to be that people could have a conversation and not walk away hating each other. We've got to open the doors to communication. And we've got to communicate even when it's uncomfortable. Ultimately, we have to have people who have the courage to stand behind their convictions. You know, we look at our founding fathers. We look at the, you know, Andrew, you're, you're a vet. You, you know, Charles, you're a vet. you guys, we look at the heroes that have fought and stood for our freedom. 
these are people who have risked their lives, many of whom have died. I have loved ones who died in wars. You know, I mean, family members, everybody's got that. The people who fought for our freedom gave everything. We've somehow gotten to a point where, frankly, and I don't mean this offensively, but it's just factual. We are, so many of us are so weak-willed and fearful that we're worried about getting called a name by a troll online. I mean, I honestly, literally could not possibly care less. You know, when, when I realized exactly how deep that goes and how rotten they get when some of the big press tried to make up stories and lie about me to try and you know, tarnish my name, at first I was angry and, you know, I'm a lawyer. So my first reaction is, well, I'm just going to sue them because they're lying. And then I thought about it and I was like, you know what? All these people did was promote my word because whether you hated me and you looked at it or you loved me and you looked at it, you still looked at it. So what that did was it just helped raise our profile and get the truth out farther. And the nice thing about it is once you've seen the truth, you can't unsee it. So I think that the number one thing we've got to do is we've got to find our courage, find our voice. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I will tell you this, we are not this small fringe minority that they try and make you feel we are. I have had the honor and privilege to travel around this country to speak in front of huge crowds, huge. We had 11,000 people on one stage that I was standing on. What a crazy thing that was. I was like, was, yeah, I mean, they all left when I got up there, but no, I'm joking. But, uh, you know, these guys, we, we go around the country. There are huge numbers of people who support us, who believe like we do. But part of the strategy in this whole thing was to make you feel alone. Why do you think you had to wear a mask and isolate and socially distance and stay away from others? They needed people to feel alone, separated, divided, and hateful of each other. Why do you think everything gets called racist even when it's clearly not? Why do you think we keep dividing people on faith, on gender, on sexuality, on all these different things? We divide people because if people come together and unite, they will always unite under the banner of freedom. And the tyrants that are trying to destroy our world hate freedom. They cannot allow the good people of this world to come together. I don't care how you live your life. I care if you tell me how I have to live mine. And that is what we have to help people to understand. When they understand that we're fighting to save their children's lives, we're fighting to ensure that they can live their life as they choose, and that we're fighting out a love, not hate, then we can have a communication. We can open the eyes and open the minds of the people. And so we've got to reach outside of our comfort zone. We've got to go to places that we aren't used to being or are a little bit nervous, and we've got to be willing to be called a name or two. Well, I concur with everything that you just said. So I think in the interest of time, I think this is a good place to wrap up. I, I didn't want to get into uh, ridiculing the enemy because ridicule <laughs> is actually one of the most effective tactics in the world to belittle, uh, belittle these wealthy monsters, to bring them down to our level. So I do it um, frequently, yes. Yeah. I, I, so people might wonder why I say these crazy things on Twitter. And then when I'm in interviews, I have this completely different persona because Twitter is a psyop. Twitter is the psyop. And if they're going to use a tool and a platform against us, we have to use it back against them. So we ridicule them. We say crazy things. And it riles them up because if we're dealing with government employees here, they can't say things like that. They can't do things like that. So I think right there, that's a good place to uh, end, end the questions or end the discussion for questions. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, Andrew. Um, should we, are you okay uh, opening up to some questions from the audience? 
Absolutely. Okay, cool. Well, let's start with my wonderful co-host, uh, Tenfoil. Please go for it, Ten. And then we're going to go to Lindsay, if she's still with us. So uh, we, we briefly discussed in a previous space on, on the matter of, um, you know, in bioethics, that the genetic modification issue may be a root cause or factor of why some of these developmental technologies were pushed. So yeah, I just wanted to get the thoughts of those on the panel of, you know, what, what your thoughts are in terms of, is this directed in, in a way towards human genetic modification? I can chime in. I, I don't, I don't think so. I think, I think the ultimate goal is, I mean, they're very explicit here. I mean, they're, they're trying to make money and I don't think there's some big crazy more of like where they're trying to uh, alter our genetics. Um, that could be a consequence of them trying to make a bunch of money. And I'll leave it at that. Charles, Tom, if you want to chime in. Yeah, I mean, I'm of the opinion that, uh, and I'm a little bit different opinion on this, and uh, apologies. Uh, but, you know, I think that there is a component of this that is genetically modifying. And here's why I think this, right? So we know that these are gene therapies because we have Pfizer and Moderna's documents that say these are gene therapies. They submitted them to the SEC. They didn't say, oh, this could have a gene therapy component. They just said these are gene therapies, and that's one of the greatest risks to our stock prices. So that's as clear as day. So it's a gene therapy do. Well, it modifies your genes. Now, temporarily or permanently, that's still debatable a little bit. But is it a gene therapy is not a debatable thing. You can't fact check that because I can show you their documents. If it's a gene therapy and if they're pushing it out there, you got to look at some of you. It makes it worth looking at context. Well, we have Klaus Schwab, the, the WEF. If we're going after these, if we're going after this, we got to look at what they're saying. And Schwab has openly said the fourth industrial generation. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but I'm pretty close on this. He says the fourth industrial generation is not just about changing what you do. It's about changing you. And if you take one of these genetically modifying uh, vaccines, et cetera, et cetera, then you will be changed. Well, what does that mean? I mean, listen, I got when I first heard this stuff, I thought this just sounds like conspiracy theory to me, right? It sounds crazy. But I can only take them at their word, right? If someone breaks into my house at night and they've got a gun and they're pointing it at my face and they say they're going to shoot me, well, I should probably do something because if I don't believe them, it doesn't mean I'm not going to get shot. You say, you know, just asking them again, are you going to shoot? These guys are telling us that they're aiming the gun at our head. They're telling us what they want to do. You know, and you can look at his scientific advisor. And, you know, I mean, the, the worst, one of the worst human beings on the planet, Yuval Noah Harari, who seems to be a fan of Hitler and Stalin. I mean, he keeps talking about them like they're great. Yuval Noah Harari, who, by the way, is a historian, but somehow became a scientific advisor. You know, I mean, he's talking about these gene therapies. He's talking about this genetic modification. So to my mind, I do believe that there is an intent. Now, maybe maybe the current round of shots aren't doing it. Maybe they are. We don't really know. We don't have the hard scientific proof. We do know that in a Petri dish, uh, the study out of Europe showed that, that the DNA is modified uh, as a result of this. The question is, is does in vitro tra translate to in vivo? And uh, I, I would feel pretty comfortable, and, you know, I leave to the scientists. You guys can all, I'm happy to point out, I'm at best a, a amateur in the science realm. But I'm quite comfortable uh, 
saying that to me, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. And you know, they're telling us they're telling us that that's what they want to do. We've got the in vitro uh, the in vitro study that uh, indicates that it does just that. So, you know, why would I doubt it? Thank you for that, um, Lindsay. Yeah, you know what, Lindsay, you're still having um, connectivity issues. So pop out and then um, come back in if you can, because I'd love to hear from you. You guys, Mr. Renz, he's got a hard stop at 415. So I'm going to try to jump through some hands here really quickly. Uh, If you have questions for him, please go directly to him. If not, then I'm going to skip you and come back to you. Um, And please have questions that are germane to the topic. I realize some of you have lost people. This is a very emotional conversation. I'm right there with you. I'm tearing up right now looking at pictures of my own friends who have been adversely affected. And I'm angry and sad. But I'm not going to cry because I sound as ugly as I look when I cry. So, um, but I want to go to people who have direct questions. So uh, let me go to uh, Valley Girls first. Uh, Do you have a question for Mr. Renz? If not, I'll circle back. Uh, Yes, I do. And um, thank you for the space, Monica. This is some really great content. And my question is for, um, and Thomas Renz, thank you so much for everything you're doing. I mean, everything you stated about we the people, the power is the people. You know, they're telling us exactly what they want to do to us. You know, they want GMO. They gave us GMO food and now they want GMO humans. So I just want to ask you, could you share a little bit about that DMAD information that you uncovered from that whistleblower, uh, that that lieutenant colonel, so that people can get a little more information about the data that was discovered. Because when I heard Charles state that, you know, he didn't think that they would intentionally be killing our military, you know, um, could you just share what the data was discovered regarding that that military data? Yeah, yeah, and I'm glad that you asked about that. So let me tell you about the DMED data. The DMED data came from the Defense Medical Epidemiology Database. Uh, We did everything you could humanly do to verify this, including I had two people in the room with one of the soldiers who was pulling it off the servers at the time that they did it. I have video of it being removed from the servers. We verified everything we can. What we reported was what the server said. The thing that is most important about that, beyond the fact that it showed hundreds of percentages of increase in injuries and deaths from from the uh, from the time that these vaxes were implemented till uh, the date that we took it off, the thing that I think is most critical is that that data has yet to be refuted. Now, there's been people who have taken shots at it and said it's this, said it's that, but here's the thing: not once since we brought that out, has the DOD gone on record under oath and addressed it? The only thing that they did was they said they issued a very short off the cuff, oh, this was a a glitch statement. That's all they did. And we actually caught them changing numbers in it at the time. Okay, so what does that mean? And yeah, I've I've got the evidence to back that up, by the way. So what does that mean? Well, what it means is one of two things is true. 
Either we're spending many, many millions of dollars for a defective epidemiology database, which is a pretty important thing to monitor the health and safety of our soldiers, or they're lying. Now, I don't, you know, on our side, we've got some great scientists out there that have looked at this and have tried to figure out what's going on and how those numbers could be that and this, that, and other. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't really care. What I care about is if it's not true, then let me question you under oath where you can go to jail if you perjure yourself. Until then, there is no response that they're going to give me that I care about. Because at the end of the day, talk is cheap. And uh, these guys have, have shown that they will lie. They've lied so many. You can tell if they're lying. You know, like if you're playing poker, there's tells. Well, the tell uh, for these guys, whether they're lying or not, is whether their mouth is open. If their mouth's open, it's a lie. Uh, so I don't care unless, I, unless there is some sort of a penalty in store for them lying. I don't care what they say. So with that, with that being said, there's zero counter out there. This was brought by credible scientists in the military, doctors. I mean, Teresa Long, uh, that, that woman is amazing. And what a hero for the courage that she's had for doing this. Uh, Pete Chambers, I mean, this guy, Pete Chambers was, I mean, he was shot saving someone in the military. The guy's a hero. Bradshaw, all these guys, these guys are heroes. So, you know, at the end of the day, We've made the charge. It was from their computers. We can back that up. It's credible. It's on the Department of Defense to refute it. They haven't done that. And the question anybody out there should be asking is why? Why haven't they gone on record under oath to refute it? Why haven't they shown what was wrong? Why haven't they explained the glitch? Why haven't they shown the data behind the glitch? You don't hide things unless you have something to hide. But they've continued to hide things for three years now. Everything they say is just trust us. And then a few months later, we find out that everything they said was a lie. And I can give, and if we do another one of these, you know, I can give you a ton of evidence of lies that we've uncovered and they, we've caught them on. And then the mainstream media decides not to, to cover it because they're all paid off by Pfizer and, and Moderna and making all sorts of money from, you know, Biden. By the way, if, for anybody here that doesn't know, Biden spent a billion dollars with a B on manipulating the media. A billion dollars went to news organizations, influencers, different things to influence this conversation so that you didn't hear what I was saying. So when I was screaming from the rooftops trying to save lives, they were spending a billion dollars to try and discredit me. When Andrew was trying to get the word out, a billion dollars trying to discredit him. It's been a rough road, and uh, luckily we've gone mainstream enough and people are seeing the truth well enough that at this point, uh, I've proven mine. I've proven what I had to say every step of the way. I've been right from the beginning. I'm still right, and now I challenge them to prove me wrong. You can discredit me real easy. Open the books. Quit hiding things. Let me see your data, the raw data, not the manipulated data. You let me see the raw data and discredit me if you can. But for three years, I've been saying, all you got to do to shut me up is to discredit me. Show, open the books, open the data. I have yet to have a taker. That challenge stands. Excellent.
Mr. Renz, thank you so much. I know you're on time constraint here. Uh, thank you for joining us. You're welcome back anytime. I know we are going to continue the conversation uh, in the future. My DMs are filled with people who want to continue on with uh, Dr. Huff and Charles for sure. So I look forward to you uh, returning. Uh, do you have any parting words of encouragement? Hey, God bless you all. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Monica. I'd be thrilled to, to come back anytime. This was a great space. And uh, listen, we will stand together. We will achieve justice and victory. I got nothing else to do for the next 30 years of my life. And so we're just going to keep fighting and we will win this. It's going to be we, the people that win this. It's not going to be one lawyer. It's not going to be one lawsuit. It's not going to be anything. This will be won by we, the people, and we will just keep going until there is accountability for every last one of these scumbags. Uh, yeah, they didn't think that I'd still be standing three years later, but I still am. Praise God. He's the one that did it. Uh, we're going to keep going, and we'll still be standing at the end, and these guys will be paying for the, paying the price. So thank you all very much, and thank you, Monica, and look forward to coming back. Thank you, sir. And thank you for your kind words. I appreciate you. And we end out all, all of my spaces with prayer, so we will include you in them. And for those of you who are not following Tom, please do so right now. And uh, also, you see, support his efforts and words of encouragement. Don't just be a, a, a spectator, like, you know, DM or if they're open and send letters of encouragement and appreciation. Uh, we all appreciate that who are out here, you know, uh, fighting the good fight. But you can also learn more about him and his work at rins Law. Thank you again, sir. We appreciate you. God bless. God bless and thank you. So, okay, we're going to move on to, uh, is she back? I don't know. I think Lindsay, bless her heart, is still having problems. Uh, So we have a few more people who are up in the speaker position with their hands up, but I want to go to someone I skipped over by accident. My apologies, sir. Chester, please go ahead. Hey, Monica, thank you for letting me speak. I was actually had a a question for uh, Tom there. Um, I don't know if you can maybe relay this message with him. Um, I was formerly a uh, IT staff um, working at a hospital that was fired for refusing the vaccine because of the mandate uh, that came out back in uh, third quarter of 2021. I'm just curious whether or not there's any lawsuits um, out there or anything that's possible for for employees um, that were let go for refusing the vaccine who didn't have a medical or religious exemption. Unfortunately, I never filed for a religious exemption just because my director told me he didn't think that that was something that I could actually pursue because there wasn't, uh, I think he was led to believe that, you know, the vaccines didn't have stem cells in them at the time and, and stuff like that. So I never actually filed for a religious exemption. And I do know that one of my coworkers did and he was declined anyway. So it, it didn't seem to really matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just curious on whether or not there was going to be any lawsuits for, I, I know that there's lawsuits for, for um, employees that were let go for uh, medical uh, filing medical exemptions, but I never filed a medical exemption. I'm just wondering if there's any legal basis for me to do anything. Sure. So um Andrew, I don't know if you have an answer to that, but and I'm sure Tom has an answer to that. I also know, and I'm in pretty close contact with America First Legal, uh, with those guys over there, Stephen Miller. Those guys have a, a fund for people who are fighting this as well. So I know they're taking that on as well as Harmeet Dillon's firm, I believe. But uh, Andrew, is there someone in our other, or is Tom still handling cases of this nature? 
Uh, Tom, Tom's firm is overwhelmed right now. And I'm actually a volunteer uh, scientist or expert or consultant with Ren's Law. So I, I think we have a lot on our plate right now. I, if you send me a DM, I can try referring you to another law firm that can help you. But you definitely need an attorney's help. I don't think there's any advice I could give you which would be helpful. Now, I, I do want to say, um, are you, were you a federal employee or are you a state employee? What type of employer did you work for? So this is uh, a private, you know, private healthcare in Massachusetts. Okay. Well, uh, in that case, probably not, at least at this stage of anything. If it gets to the, you, you're much more likely to, ha- in the future, if there becomes like product liability or so probably dealing with it with a shot. So, so basically, if Tom Renz is successful <laughs> with what, one of the things he's trying to do, then, then I think that'll be a direction you can go. But as far as a private employer um, having a mandate, um, that that actually differs from state to state. So um, I'm try- I can't remember the offhand, but it's it would be more difficult for somebody like you. So to jump into, you said you work in healthcare, correct? Did I understand that correctly? Um, so I was an IT staff member that worked 100% remote. and um, But was it for a healthcare company? Yes, yeah, so it was a hospital. Yeah, and that, that makes your situation more difficult too because I know that one of the recent federal rulings was that people who work for hospital or healthcare, whether it doesn't really matter what your occupation is because it matters what the nature of the business of the company is, they could basically force – uh, vaccinations onto, even though it's not a vaccine, onto their employees. And they, I think the courts left it sort of high level and open so it could be broadly interpreted. So I, I think you have that working against you. And the case law behind that stems from when vaccines actually were protective and offered some benefit, but the courts went with the case law and that's the way that they ruled. Okay. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm sure right to hire states have something to say about that. Uh, Chester, thank you for your question, and I apologize that you missed him, but I think Andrew probably um, answered it uh, pretty well for you. I'm happy to help any way I can as well if you would like to DM me, and uh, I'll also try to point you in, in the direction of some folks. Sounds good. Thank you for the help. Absolutely. My pleasure. Uh, okay, let's go on to, we have just three more hands, and uh, I know Dr. Huff has uh, other things that he needs to tend to, as so does Charles taking on, you know, the world here. Let's go to Christopher first. Thank you. Hey, thank you, Monica. Um, I was, uh, hey, Christopher, I don't hey, know if something's up with your mic. Do you, hold on a second. Tim, can you Tim, mute can your you mic, please? Your mic, please. I think he said he's frozen. He said he's frozen. Let me, let me. Remove him. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, now, of course, we're having issues. Um, yeah, Christopher, try that again. Christopher, try that again. Can you hear me now? Mm, not really. Mm, not I mean, really. I hear you, I mean, but I'm sure the space is having a hard time. That's all right. I'll just drop down. Okay, drop down and come back up, and I'll pop you right back up. Thank you. All right. All right, let's move over to answers for Sean, please. Hi, Monica. Thanks for having me. My son, Sean, played hockey his whole life since he was a little boy. And to keep playing hockey, he had to have a vaccine. He took one shot of Pfizer and died 33 days later. He was found dead on the floor beside his bed. He was 17 years old. 
my life has been destroyed. And after seeing the video of that punk from Pfizer, it is so frustrating to me that there's no investigation being done now. Why aren't there arrests? I, I don't get it. It's, it's so frustrating for me to deal with what I saw. I've called five law firms in Toronto, Canada, and none of them will help me. I, I don't know what to do. I've been fighting every day since Sean died, and I just want help. I just want justice. I just want you all to know out there that I will keep fighting. And my boy can never rest in peace until there is justice. Thank you. I'm very sorry for your loss. Andrew, go ahead. I'm so sorry for your loss as well. And, and, and this gets back to what we discussed earlier, uh, how the conversation began, which you might have lost. So I'll, I'll re- I may not, may not have been a present for, so I'll repeat it. Gain of function research this directed evolution research is not illegal and companies like Pfizer have been doing this for six years. This project Veritas gotcha journalism just caught an employer, a legend employer, a contractor discussing the work that they've been doing for six years. This is nothing new. Uh, and this is why Charles and I and others have been fighting for well years now trying to have some regulation put on place around this gain of function work. And the reasons why the lawyers are not, don't want to help you is because the vaccine manufacturers have broad immunity to all different types of claims brought against them. So the only way to make this whole thing unravel is to focus on what caused it. And that all trace traces back to my former employer, EcoHealth Alliance and the U S government mismanaging a research program and giving this advanced biotechnology to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. If you go back in history and you took away all these things, the, the, US, research for, uh, the U.S. research program via EcoHealth Alliance, none of this would have happened. And Pfizer went to develop a medical countermeasure. So the way that you make this whole thing unravel is going at the proximate cause of it all. That is very tragic. And, and thank you for that encouragement, um, Andrew. That is, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very, very sorry for your loss, sir. I, I can't even imagine. Um, yeah, it's a bit we're all here for each other. And so I'm very grateful to have spaces like these. Thank you uh, to all of you for being here to, to show support. And since you know his handle, please go and again, leave uh, kind gestures of support because that's another way that we can, uh, you know, carry on in this battle. Okay, let's go over to uh, JG. Hi, uh, just making sure you can hear me okay. Yeah, I gotcha. So I, um, I, you know, I answer, God love you. Um, I, uh, when I was listening earlier, I was, I was even trying to, I guess, make sense of some of what, uh, as I was listening to the FDA speaking. And I, I kind of thought it a little bizarre, I guess. Or, or tried to like you know understand why the move would go from uh, because there's I guess signaling now um, that they are moving towards the bivalent shot rather than the monovalent shot. The monovalent shot is, I believe, almost in for most age groups fully FDA approved. Now the bivalent shot is under emergency use use authorization, and I was actually 
wondering if that had any legal ramification, legal implications for civilians, employees, etc. But then also if that had some form of legal protection um, for the drug companies, pharmaceutical companies, maybe even the FDA themselves. Um, and I, so I was trying to figure a bit out there um, just because I, I was listening, I think even to Chester speaking, you know, I, um, I myself, I'm a registered nurse and I'm unvaccinated and I, I filled out a religious exemption regardless as to what anybody told me. I, right. and I'm not trying to give any advice, um, right. but I know that a lot of, you know, healthcare workers and a lot of people were very angry about some of them, the scientific specifics of what, um, you know, was included sure. in the research. And so, I, JG, and is that your question for either? Yeah. Andrew? Okay. All right, cool. Uh, I know because Andrew's on a time constraint, so I want to get to your Sorry question. That. Is that your, you're good. Is that your question? Yes. All right, cool. Andrew, do you have an answer? Yeah, sure. So I, I think awesome. this, it can be simply summed up. So the vaccines, they do not permit, prevent transmission. They lied in the, the clinical trials, they being uh, Pfizer, um, on the toxicology effects of the mRNA jabs. Um, not only do they not prevent the, the jabs, they don't prevent transmission. They actually might be causing a large amount of adverse events. This has been lied to, or uh, the public's been lied to about this, or this has been obfuscated from the public. Obviously those are not good things. There's not informed, informed consent. So these are all the problems that surrounding, uh, the MRNA jabs and their gene therapy. I mean, there's, there's a long list here. The, the only problem is in the context of healthcare, in the, at least within the United States, if that's where you live, there's a fair amount of case law going back to 1918, which indicates or suggests that healthcare providers have a right to mandate their employees receive vaccinations. Well, I hope there's a Supreme Court challenge to that that is better structured to maybe have that policy reexamined because if they're changing the definition of what a vaccine is, it doesn't really make sense to compare a 1918 vaccination policy with a 2023 vaccine policy, because what we call a vaccine, the definition has changed over the last three years. Excellent. Um, I'm going to ask you to do something for me just because I know you're on a time constraint, but this is someone that I want to uh, give the courtesy of asking our final question as I bring 10 back up. Um, he's someone who serves currently. He is grounded uh, he's fighting the good fight on behalf of pilots and others who are currently serving in the military. So I wanted to give David Beckerman an opportunity to ask you a question and or have last word. David, please. Can David hear me? I see him clapping his hand, but there you go. Oh, goodness. Now the space gets glitchy. Yeah, right, it, says, it says connecting on mine. I think this is a good... We'll give him a second here and I can make that okay. announcement. So uh, today... So last week when I was in Austin, Texas for a series of interviews, I sat down with a major uh, filmmaker uh, who has financial backing to make a feature film out of my, my book, my story. Uh, today I sat down with the producer and uh, the director, and they want to make me an executive producer actually in the film, part of the financial arrangement as my dog drops a bone on the floor. Um, so I think the, the filmmaker, the producer, and the director were all on the same page. We have verbally agreed to a contract, which our entertainment lawyers are passing back and forth right now. But it sounds like it's going to go ahead. Um, so I'm not going to be tweeting about this uh, because that's usually sort of poor form. And we might want to keep it secret. But I thought I would let everyone in the space know uh, just because this is sort of ephemeral and you'd really have to come to you know hunt to find that information. So there's the news. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to discuss any further after today. 
Well, there you go. I mean, there's more breaking news in one of my spaces. I love it. Well, good for you. Tell the story. Get it out there. I mean, you know, that, I mean, that's that's what it's for. That's what cameras and, and recording and telling the truth is for. I mean, get it, tell it far and wide. Just make sure they stay true to your actual um, experiences. Um, okay, hold on. I think I've got David back. That's excellent. And, and more power to you. Okay, David, go for yeah, it. Yeah, hey, uh, I was hoping to address the uh, the nurse that was just speaking, but I think he just dropped out. I didn't see I'm looking through the crowd. I don't see him. But uh, there's two things that I wanted to address real quick that he said. He said that the monovalents were licensed. And we've spoke before that the, the licensure for the monovalent was a, was a, was a sham. Uh, they licensed it on paper but never produced it. They continued to uh, offer and issue out the emergency use authorized. And then he's asking about the bivalence. I was, I've been tweeting about the bivalence uh, yesterday. Uh, Chester was on earlier. He hosted a space for me as well to talk about uh, the prediction that they were going to approve the bivalence unanimously. We made that prediction a week ago that they were going to unanimously approve the bivalence to be the uh, main vaccine. What's interesting about the this, uh, this unanimous approval is that the bivalents are already outdated. So the nurse is correct that they are emergency use authorized. And because they're EUA, uh, they can't be mandated. Uh, And that goes, that's in uh, Section 564 of the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. I mean, everything that we've done with this mandates have been just, the the mandates in particular have been extremely uh, illegal. And what's worse is that people didn't really understand uh, what the government was doing. Huff, Charles, we've been talking a little bit behind the scene. They, they these guys know. Uh, but uh, as far as the bivalence, what's comical about this is the strains that the bivalent is good for. So on the box, it'll say it's good for the original BA4 and BA5. Right now, the original BA4 and BA5 make up 2.5% of the strains that are in the wild. So the idea that the FDA is going to make the bivalent boosters, by the way, I have to say that they're bivalent boosters as the main shot now. Uh, to replace the uh, original two-dose primary suit is absolutely absurd. What we're seeing is that the regulatory agencies are not doing their job. They're simply uh, pushing these policies that they're getting uh, from above. And it's really, I don't know, I don't have words. It's just, it's wild at this point. Uh, The main, I guess the key takeaway is just don't accept any of these products anymore. No, and you're you're absolutely right. And the interesting thing about the bivalent, you know, boosters is it actually increases your chances of becoming infected with one of the more predominantly circulating strains. The other thing that why this is complete nonsense is that the whole rationale of going to the mRNA platform was so that they could rapidly uh, bioengineer strains to match what was circulating. I mean, this is the whole philosophy, whether it was for the flu or for COVID or something else. Well. Now they're, they're going back to the, with the policy they want to put in place is that they're going to uh, play this strain matching game. Well, it defeats the whole purpose of going to mRNA because if that was the justification why they needed to make mRNA in the first place. So the, the, the background here is that with traditional vaccines in the flu, they can only put four strains into the quadrivalent vaccine for the flu. And a number of experts get together every year in North America and try to predict what the, the Northern Hemisphere's four pre- predominant circulating flu strains will be out of about 30. So some years they get it right, some years they get it wrong. So like in a, in a bad match year, the, the uh, effectiveness in the population could be as low as like 30%. 
you know, it's a garbage year. It didn't work. If they get it right, just by chance, they, it might have an effectiveness up in, in the 80, 80% range. So now they want to try playing this stupid strain matching game with coronaviruses, which is completely asinine because coronaviruses actually mutate faster than influenza viruses. So here's this insane world of a policy and we're, we're, we're seeing it play out. And this is why it matters so much that we get the right people elected into office and they appoint good scientific advisors that know what the hell they're doing, what they're talking about, because clearly all these people at the FDA are shills. Well, there you go. Thank you, David. Uh, I see your hand up. Oh, yeah. I, I just wanted to say it's amazing what, you know, Dr. Huff is bringing to the table, what Charles is bringing to the table, right? They're seeing it from behind on how behind the scenes of how the virus uh, has is being mutated, is being developed. Um, I'm not uh, I'm not a scientist, right? I just saw it from the officer perspective of lawful orders. Can you mandate the EUA? And I started deconstructing the history of how we got here. So I'm seeing it from the vaccine manufacturing side, like how they're even, so Dr. Hoff is bringing the, um, you know, the virus, man, or the virus manufacturing side. And then I've been researching um, Project BioShield and BARDA and how they even, how they do the vaccine production. So, and then, you know, on top of the Project Veritas video where they're talking about exactly what Dr. Huff just brought up, the producing the virus, producing the vaccine, producing the virus. I mean, we're really trending towards a, a dark and scary place where we're letting, um, you know, these medical emergencies uh, take over uh, our freedoms. And so, you know, when when uh, Renz is on here talking about what we can do to, together to go forward, I think uh, knowledge is first. Like, we need to know what happened. We need to understand exactly what happened. We need to understand the game of what's going on. And then as long as we're talking to each other, I think, I mean, it's kind of a weak thing to say, oh, we just got to keep talking. At one point that we do have to take action, right? Uh, one of my fellow pilots, his name is John Bose. He's a big picture thinker, right? He's looking forward. He's he's trying to figure out how to uh, fix our current situation where I'm still trying to, you know, look at the history and try to figure out how we got here. Cause I think that's relevant as well to know, okay, how do we get here? How do we fix it? So there are people, um, that are making efforts, you know, behind the scenes and trying to communicate. Uh, I know that we're connected to one of the senators, uh, that's on the, uh, he's like on this, on the COVID, pandemic subcommittee to figure out what's going on so getting connected to the right players and feeding the information to the people that need it i mean this is great obviously the public needs to understand what happened right because the court of public opinion matters and then also on top of that uh getting in touch with the key players and making sure that they have the right information so that they can actually take action and do the right thing sure. and that's the last thing i have to say and i'll jump into it Thanks, Thanks David. Appreciate you uh, and appreciate your efforts. I know the entire United States military does as well. Uh, Ten, I hate to do this to you, but uh, Andrew's got to run and he's been trying to run for the past 10 minutes. So I'm going to close out the space. But before I do, uh, thank you, Andrew, Dr. Hoff. Thank you for your patriotism. Thank you for your courage. Thank you for your friendship. Uh, thank you for being a truth teller. And uh, we certainly wish you all of the blessings possible for getting this out there, you know, on large scale, whether it's a film, it's another podcast, you come back through our spaces, which I know we're already talking about moving forward with some of those. Um, and so, yeah, I just thank you for this idea and for inviting me to be a part of it. Um, I bless you and your endeavors in the future. I'm sure you will sit before some type of a congressional committee, whether or not it will yield the fruit we hope for. I don't know. Uh, but I do also thank Mr. Rixey. Thank you very much, Charles. Um, 
I know you could have done, you know, a hundred other spaces. So thank you for being here with us. And as always, I uh, pray out my spaces. So father creator, thank you, Yahweh for all things. Thank you for our struggles. Thank you for our trials. They make us stronger. And in the end, they produce patience according to your perfect word. So I thank you for, uh, for us to be able to come together. Thank you for Mr. Renz and his courage and his tenacity and uh, in his in his stability, thank you for his safety as well as Andrews and Charles's and uh, and James O'Keefe. Anyone who is working on these front lines, Father, bringing truth to uh, to light. I pray for your continued protection over them as well. So thank you for life. Thank you for love. Thank you for liberty. Thank you. That you are the author and finisher of our faith. And that no matter what anyone creates in a in a lab, no matter what type of poison they attempt to, you know, take us out with, Father, I thank you that you are greater, your blood is purer, and you have promised to heal us of all of our diseases. So I pray that over every person in this space and over anyone who's lost anyone. We grieve with you. We love you. We are here for you. Please reach out for support. You're not alone. And uh, yeah, in Yeshua's name, I pray. Thanks, guys. Be blessed. This space will be up. Uh, I will. We will produce the series in its entirety. You will have access to it. Uh, we have six hours of material, probably a little bit over here and there. But uh, please share it far and wide. Like Mr. Wren said, this is exactly why we're doing this, to continue to communicate and get the truth out. Thank you, and God bless. Thank you.